Nuwa's Stone Smelting is a tale unfounded. On such weak fancies are great fables grounded. Lost now, alack, and gone my heavenly stone, transformed to this vile bag of flesh and bone. For, in misfortune, gold no longer gleams, and bright jade, when fate frowns, lack luster seems. Heaped charnel bones none can identify, were golden girls and boys in days gone by. a second so um the jade is attached to a kind of a very elaborate sash right uh in, in the hawk's translation it's a a butterfly embroidered sash with fringed ends and actually in the original it's uh so it's a, a five colored butterfly right and then just a moment later so i'm wushing build right now just a moment later when uh the jade is is in Bao Chai's hand because she she really wants to see it you know um, she's heard so much about it and now it's it's finally in her palm right and she says or the translation reads looking at it as it lay on her palm she saw a stone about the size of a sparrow's egg glowing with a suppressed milky radiance of a sunlit cloud and veined with iridescent streaks of color and so what Hawks has rendered iridescent streaks of color is Usu Huawen so uh, five five colored um, mm-hmm. decoration or decorative design. Hua Wen is literally yeah. um, Hua is flower again, and and so it's a yeah. five colored flower. So we're again we're we're in this uh, this very colorful but also symbolically uh, charged space. And also I want to point out that what Hawks has rendered yeah. a sunlit cloud is is Mingxia. Which is referring to this is again the, the dream of golden days. This is these are the clouds that have um, s- sort of like a like I guess like red or golden clouds. Maybe you know the clouds at this. Um, yeah. Maybe at, at the twilight hour. Exactly. That's exactly because he he says san ruo ming xia san san being uh to kind of shine brightly. Ruo being like in the similar way to, and then as you said, Mingxia, I think of exactly like you described it. It's sun, sunrise or sunset. Right. The, the, the twilight. The, the yeah. sun is either kind of disappearing behind this the horizon or not yet risen over it. It's shining and it's hitting the clouds and the clouds are tinged with pink or orange or, you know, any of those sorts of colors. It's, 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 that, that's exactly the kind of... A kind of liminal uh, efflorescence, if you want. Yeah. Yes, ex- exactly. It's a really beautiful passage, both in translation and in the original. A, a lot of really mm-hmm. uh, luxurious language, but it really does seem to be doing something, a lot for the story. 
And so, like, I don't know. I, I think aesthetically it works. Uh, it, it still seems, you know, full of impact. Yeah. This, this is a moment where they had the jade out there. They've observed its general appearance, and now they want to see uh, what's been written on its surface, right? And so this is a great moment because they are themselves kind of rereading the stone. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Well, I I just want to touch on the poem quickly. Uh, so there's a, there's a poem describing the the stone itself, uh, and, and and this was in the cold open. So you will have you will have heard it at the beginning of the uh, the episode. But there's just a couple of points that I kind of want to touch on. So um, maybe I'll just reread the hawks, and then we can we can delve into it slightly. So Nuwa's stone smelting is a tale unfounded. On such weak fancies, our great fables grounded. Lost now, alack and gone my heavenly stone, transformed to this vile bag of flesh and bone. For, in misfortune, gold no longer gleams, and bright jade, when fate frowns, lackluster seems. Heaped charnel bones, none can identify, were golden girls and boys in days gone by. And so it's a bit surprising, I guess, you know, having just had this very glorious description of the stone itself, to suddenly have this mm-hmm. this poem is very um, it's very at odds with that message. It, it, it kind of cuts across it in a lot of ways. It's 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 incongruous, incongruent with it, I guess. Maybe it, it's more it's more bitter than yeah. sweet. Although you know, Hawk, I've been giving Hawks a hard time, and I, I gotta say his rendering of this poem is uh, very good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. Um, I think there's a couple of lines we could touch on. So so the mm-hmm. the what are lines three and four of the Hawks? It starts um, in the Chinese. Uh, I have lost yeah. the original true. Mianmu uh, is something like um, appearance, I guess. So, so the original true appearance of the stone has been lost. And from the illusion or dream has come out a stinking bag of flesh. Oh, a stinking bag of skin, basically, which is yeah. presumably a flesh and bone. Yeah, it, yeah. It, a flesh, a, a stinking flesh bag, literally. Yeah, which I suppose is supposed to to refer to uh, Bao Yu, right? Bao Yu is is the stinking skin bag, skin sack, flesh flesh bag, you know. Um, and and that kind of echoes a bit what he, the way that he thinks of himself, you know. Um, yeah. For yeah. example, in the previous chapter when he meets Qin Zhong he seeks to put himself down and raise up Jin Zhong as being kind of more noble or virtuous than him. And one of the ways that he does that is he says, you know, the the nobles such as us, you know, we have all of these uh, nice foods and perfumes, but it's just to cover our stinking nature, you know? And, and, and then, yeah, just the last two lines as well, this idea of w- when we're all dead and reduced to bones, you can't identify, you know, who who's who. And, and yeah, so in the Chinese, it's um, So white bones like a mountain, forgotten names, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you yeah. can imagine, you know, the, these these were once people, but now they're just bones and you have no idea who's who. And then the next line is mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. means being unable to distinguish, I suppose. Uh, Gongzi is is it's not just kind of men. It's I suppose like uh, it carries a sense of sort of like nobility. I suppose so. Gongzi, Gongzi, Yu Hongzhuang are clearly intended to be 
Gonza and Hongzhuang, like they're 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 in opposition. There's a there's a they're supposed to be held up as contrasting with each other. Uh, Hongzhuang is literally like red red makeup or or you know uh, adornment. And yeah, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Is is did you think that Hongzhuang was a stand-in for women generally, or does it? Do you think it was a stand-in for being of kind of lower class, you know, something like actors or or or, or even sort of prostitutes? Right. Yeah. It was really interesting here because uh, it really is, you know, boys and girls in a sense, where the boys are the Gongsa and the girls are the uh, Hongzhuang, is yeah. referring to kind of the this beautiful reddish clothing uh, associated with youth and with beauty. Okay. Okay. So you see the Gongsa. So it's it's kind of metonymical, right? Yeah. 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 So it's 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 a it's a it's just a, it's a sort of like a gender distinction. Yeah, but it's interesting because you you have again this this uh, element of red that's also golden, and I, I think it works. I, I think here it, it is a little bit more of a um, more of an interpretation, but it it seems to be completely grounded in the text, mm -hmm. where I believe this 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 clothing actually was relatively it was red clothing, but it's not literally red clothing. It's a it's a style. It's a type. It represents a time period. It represents um, kind of the full full flourishing of, of youth and beauty and love and emotion. Right. So redness is um, is a standing for exactly that. Yeah, youthfulness. The, the for, golden days for flourishing. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the best time. You know, th these were the best days of your life. Kind yeah. of idea. Yeah. And and so yeah, I'm really uh, impressed with Hawk's rendering of of this poem in particular. Yeah. In this chapter. Yeah. This idea of the uh, chou pi nang, the, the vile bag of flesh and bone, mm -hmm. that seems to have um, Buddhist resonances. Yeah. And, and, and that is referring to, I think, the, the transformation from the jade essence to the uh, mortal fleshly being. At, at the same time, and you can see how it is grounded in our own perception of ourselves as people as you know people who sweat and who you know uh get dirty and who have to excrete in various capacities and, and who emit various fluids and so on yeah. it, it is grounded in our own perception our own kind of self-perception of our own uh shortcomings at the same time this is kind of why sometimes you have thinkers like you know philosophers like nietzsche criticize uh like buddhist systems of of thinking because it is very much it can become a kind of anti-life philosophy mm -hmm. where you take this one element of life that is disagreeable and you you over extrapolate and now all of life becomes um this this stinking mess yep this vile um form of being and so I think it's very interesting, but it's also, um, I wonder whether the author is going to uh, grapple with that uh, or ultimately succumb to the this kind of, um, what Nietzsche would refer to as a pessimism or pessimism toward life or toward the will or what have you. Yeah. And so it's a great image, but I'm also, uh, I worry about it in a little bit. Although it's interesting, the, the idea of bones is also... Uh, an image that's sometimes associated with um, religious practice, with Buddhist practice, where you're supposed to imagine bones or imagine oneself or one's 
one's beloved as bones in order to um, distance oneself from desire, from mortal desire. But at, at the same time, I think the this idea of bones as being, in a sense, clean or pure, or it's strange because I, I'm, I'm not sure if I can completely articulate the idea, but like it, it really does uh, hinge in a way. I mean, you, you can imagine a certain. Um, there's even been you know various historical cultural practices of uh, you have like os- ossuaries, you know, these like bone collections where you would go and, and you would uh in some cultures maybe um inspect the bones of your ancestors yeah and so there's a lot going on here so i'm not sure how to uh how to interpret some of this uh yeah and i, I don't know that we necessarily do right there's no I, fixed answer maybe. yeah exactly exactly yeah okay so let's talk about the the stone and also balchai's locket so Xue balchai reads what's on Baoyu's locket, uh, Baoyu's stone, and there's this little couplet, four characters and four characters. She reads them aloud, and her handmaid overhears them. Uh, Ying R, uh, rendered as Oriel in, 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 in English, and she says, oh, that's just like your own, you know, what you have written on your own, you know, necklace. Why don't you show him? Uh, and she's initially reluctant, um, but Baoyu says, you know, I've showed you mine. Why don't you show me yours? And so she eventually does. Exactly. And she has a, an almost exactly matching poem or, or kind of couplet. Again, two lines of four. The meaning is very similar, but also the structure within Chinese, and this is very hard to convey in English, is very neatly parallel, um, uh, I guess, is the thing. So it would be kind of, I think it'd be really good just to do a bit of talking about what's, uh, what's in those, those two two little couplets so where should we begin should we begin with with the jade i guess right yeah yeah sure sure i mean do you want to would you like to read the the hawks just to give people a a sense of the meaning okay so and so we're going to recall that this writing was actually referenced in the first chapter this these are the inscriptions made by the uh the dallas monk and the buddhist priest yeah Um, yeah who, who find the stone right who find the stone and agree to take it to the uh the Hongchen to mm. the the golden earth, the golden dust, and so on the front, it, it the Hawks translation reads: uh, "Mislay me not, forget me not, and hail old age shall be your lot." And on the reverse side, it lists kind of three powers. This is really fun. It has almost like a, a video game. Like yeah. here are your three special powers you get from this this item. So your first special power: it dispels the harms of witchcraft. Second one. It cures melancholic distempers. And the third one, of course, it foretells good and evil fortune. Yeah. So that's a pretty good uh, pretty good find. Yeah, yeah. So Xue Baochai's um, pendant locket, you know, by contrast, reads, Ne'er leave me, ne'er abandon me, and years of health shall be your fee. And so he's had to, you know, Hawks has had to do a bit of like making never into ne'er so that it sort of, you know, the, so that the syllables kind of fit. Um but but yeah, you can see it's exactly the same exactly the same structure. It's don't do this, don't do that, and you shall receive this reward. You know. So so I was really interested in it. So I I put the couplets side by side so that you can so that you can yeah you can sort of uh, see exactly how they line up. So the the, the first line of of Jiabaiyu's is more shi more wang, which is so more is a character meaning do not do something. Shi is to lose. And right. Wang is to forget. So do not lose, do not forget. 
me as in do not lose me do not forget me and then it continues xian shou heng chang so um xian is the word for a fairy but it can mean here kind of almost like uh, immortal shou is is your lifespan heng means something like uh, eternal or long lasting and chang is one of those words that means kind of good prosperous fortunate kind of you know happy it's the kind of it's the kind of word that's often incorporated into the names of chinese companies you know they'll 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 throw in that chang mm. character to be like you know to <laughs> to to suggest a kind of goodness or positivity to their company name and then xue ba chai's is bu li bu qi so bu again being not do not li being to leave behind bu qi so qi is to throw away yeah, to discard uh, so the you can, you can see the the lines are very very similar so in in Bao Yu's case, Mo Shi, don't lose it. In um, Bao Chai's case, Bu Li, don't, don't leave it behind. And then the second part, Mo Wang, don't forget it. And Bu Qi, don't throw it away. And then hers continues, um, uh, Fang Ling, Yong Ji. Mm. Just touching on the, the, the later, the second two of those characters, Yong, Ji. Yong, again, means like perpetual, eternal. And Ji is to continue. Right. So something will continue perpetually. What is that something? It's Feng Ling. Ling is, uh, again, age, years, lifetime. And Feng is a character that we've seen before in particularly the fifth chapter in the dream scene. It's, exactly, it's in yeah. the name of one of those in the name of one of those perfumes or, or 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 teas or alcohols. I can't remember exactly which one, but it implies exactly what you were saying before, kind of verdant greenness. Uh it's natural richness and greenness and life, kind of goodness or virtue in a natural context, basically. So so it's, you know, if you take care of this necklace, then the you know the good years of your life will continue forever or, or at least for a long long time maybe like the fragrant age you know that's what i was yeah. kind of thinking a more literal but it also has the the connotation of uh yeah of vivacious youth yeah the the flowering years kind of yeah thing. um yeah and and so so i mean it, it's just to really emphasize the point that it's not just that they say something vaguely similar. It's that the the exact structure of the poems fits in kind of lockstep. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 slot together very very neatly. So so there's really like a, an incredibly obvious symbolic uh, meaning and significance to this. Now here's a question though: Do we think the the meaning is simply that each individual has to keep his respective uh, artifact? Or is there an implication here that uh, Bao Chai and Bao Yu have to stay together in some kind of union? Yeah, uh, it's a very for good them point. to uh, collectively prosper. Obviously, I'm sort of leaning toward the latter interpretation, but I want to see whether that was crossing your mind or not. Uh, no, I, I, it's a good point. Um, it is strongly implied uh, that it's mm-hmm. talking about not just each of them. The relationship that each of them has to the to the to the piece of jewelry, but their relationship to each other certainly. But there's a, another element to it which I thought was kind of interesting, which is this is something that they've both been both had kind of imposed upon them in a way, and in a similar way, I, 
I don't know. It's fated, but at the same time, it's 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 imposed. I would also maybe add a a quick Uching twist to this. Yeah. And we could think about the idea of. I was looking into, uh, and so I was trying to fill, <laughs> figure out this um, this kind of um, categorization system. And the question emerged is, where exactly does jade fit into this? And, and I yes. did some research, and apparently, according to the traditional classification method, jade itself was considered um, part of the metal group. And right. So if you yeah. accept that, uh, that um, interpretive twist, you can see... Maybe the implication here is that metal should stay with metal. And I guess the, the question then becomes is uh, if, the, if it's a question of the pairing of uh, Bao Chai and Bao Yu versus the pairing of Bao Yu and, and Dai Yu, well, it's she's Lin Dai Yu. So, like, on one hand, she is wood because she's Lin. Mm -hmm. On one hand, if, if Yu is metal, then maybe she has a metal component as well. Uh, you can see how this gets kind of complicated. Of course, yeah. the dye means black, which is associated with water. Another kind of twist of the um, an interpretive twist, especially because we, we've associated her with water insofar as Bao Yu water is the flower, right? And, yeah. And she's yeah. supposed to repay with a lifetime of tears, which is, again, a form of water. And so maybe that's part of the... So a part of this like crazy... Uh, cosmology and it's also this moment that uh so they're in the the shre household and it begins to shre it begins to snow and yeah. so i i don't know yeah i, I was like uh like oh it's, it's too much it's too much going on i can't deny it anymore <laughs> uh, there's a conspiracy um, it's an authorial conspiracy just just thinking about it sorry uh one other point of similarity between them is i suppose with Bao Yu, he was born with this jade in his mouth, but we're un we're to understand that it was inscribed by this Taoist monk and Buddhist monk. Right, um, right. And what we learn about Bao Chai's locket is that it was given to her by uh, a scabby-headed old monk. The monk insisted that she have it inscribed on a piece of gold, which is a, which again is suggestive of this kind of the system of thinking maybe yeah it's this interesting idea of uh the kind of monks playing this slightly otherworldly role you know they 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 kind of dip in and out and and pull the strings of fate i suppose for the for the other characters so after they have this exchange then uh who should arrive but lean dayu the mm. third corner of the love triangle um, yes and she's initially kind of quite put out um, because she wasn't expecting Bao Yu to be there. And seeing him there, she feels like this is perhaps a journey wasted. Because, you know, she says, well, what's the point of me coming around? Why don't I come around when, when Bao Yu is not here? So that, you know, rather than having it being too busy at one time and then nobody being there, you could have one of us on one day and the other of us on the other day. And that way we can, you know, kind of keep you company in a more kind of even, steady way. Everything that she says has, um, I really think this is the moment that her character starts to emerge most fully. Um, yep. Before we, we had seen her as someone uh, very attentive to etiquette and also someone who's very sensitive, uh, very prone toward emotional outbursts. And this scene also is very much taking things personally that really aren't personal, 
but there is um, we're beginning to see a kind of uh, a playfulness, an edge to her character, a capacity for double entendre, and a lot of kind of kind of uh, difficult difficult to describe, kind of alluring qualities, but also I'm grasping for words. How do you describe yeah. her her character in this moment? I don't know exactly, but yeah, she does seem to be unusually kind of put out by it. Um, a kind of a, a kind of, but also playful in a way. Um, yeah. She takes her resentment and her self-centered attitude, and she transforms it into a kind of charming edge, a brace, a, a kind of a aesthetical abrasiveness. I might yeah. want to say. And so she's not. She's an interesting character. She's likable, but very uh, peevish and childish and immature. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a scene. There's there's a moment later in this in this passage where she rather kind of sternly upbraids one of her um, one of her maids, Snow Goose. Mm. So she's sitting there, and one of her maids rushes in and gives her um, a blanket to cover herself. Which seems like a you know a nice gesture because we learn that it's snowing outside and it's definitely kind of one of the colder times of year, and she tells off her maid for doing it because she says I've not asked you to do it, and you bringing it to me to keep me warm suggests that my hosts are not doing enough to keep me warm, and it's therefore kind of a, an insult to them or it's a you know it's a slight uh, upon their capacity as as as, as hosts, and so Aunt Shue Shue Yima who is you know. Uh, essentially you know the host in the situation says oh come on you know don't be so silly of course you know you should cover yourself up and keep warm you know you've always had this slightly delicate constitution etc you're right to describe it as peevishness you know she's i guess easily put out by things and offended by things on people's behalf where they themselves are not the slightest bit concerned about it and yet at the same time those uh, remarks ostensibly were uh, are referring to um the maid's behavior but actually, and, and the author is very explicit about this, and so in the Hawks translation it reads, Bao Yu knew perfectly well that these words were really intended for him, uh, but made no reply beyond laughing good-humoredly. And so it is very much using this uh, attention to rhetoric as a platform to criticize other people altogether. So on one hand, it's very, it's kind of, it's very rude to the servant, obviously, um, and unfair. Yeah. But it's it's also kind of a an artful means to indirectly criticize uh, Bao Yu in a way that is very, I, I think, obvious for most of the people uh, present, right? Which is again, it, it is uh, simultaneously artful, but also petty. Uh, and it's very much, you know, why did you, why are you here? Why are you hanging out with her and not me? Uh, or, or, or why did you not mm-hmm. invite me before you came over here? Ah, uh, I see. I see. You can kind of imagine that, that one friend who anytime you weren't involved, you did not involve them in, in some kind of activity. They automatically assumed that, um, it was an intentional omission. It was right? an insult so to it's, them, yeah. It's very much, yeah. you know, maybe the flower she is at this moment is the narcissist, right? And so it is this, this narcissistic uh, view of the world, but it's because it is rendered in this artful manner. It's amusing and uh, almost, almost uh, endearing. Let's say. Okay, so what what happens in the rest of this the rest of this scene? There's, I mean, on the on the kind of superficial <laughs> level, it's 
Bao Yu wants to drink. But, you know, he wants to... Uh, <laughs> he has this whole um, rhetorical wrestling match with uh, what's, uh, who's called this character, Nanny Lee, uh, Lee Mama, who's one of the wet nurses, who, who was his wet nurse, in fact. And um, she's trying to say he shouldn't drink because his grandmother, Grandmother Jia, doesn't like it when he gets drunk. And he says, well, no, you know, that's not true. She often lets me have a cup or two. And Nanny Lee says, well, she's only going to blame me if you get drunk. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to let you. And there's this kind of back and forth. And everyone else is saying, okay, go on, let him have a, let him have a cup or two. And it's quite funny because, you know, initially he's saying, oh, just let me have a cup, you know, let me just have one, one glass. <laughs> and then once he's already three glasses in, she tries to stop him from drinking and he goes, just let me have two more, you know? <laughs> you know? So it's that kind of, you know, gradually inching up from one cup to five, but eventually they do manage to get him off it. They give him some, some, some soup and some tea and things. And we, we assume he kind of sobers up somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Some pickled bamboo shoots and chicken skin soup. Chicken skin. That sounds good. I mean, I guess the, 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 the stuff of interest to me happens right at the end of the scene after you know, they've kind of spent the day together hanging out with Bao Chai, and then eventually they kind of make their way home. And Bao Yu and Dai Yu go back to their, their kind of quarters. And we learn, well, we learn a number of things. One of them is that, as you mentioned before, the great calligrapher, <laughs> Bao Yu, asked one of his, um, his maids, in this case, she's called uh, Skybright um, in, in, um, in the Hawks translation, he asked her to, to prepare some ink for him to do some calligraphy. Uh, and then in the end, he only did three characters and then, well, presumably got bored or distracted and, and, and ran off. And I, I, I don't know, I, I, these three characters, I was trying to work out what the significance of them is. So was I, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're, they, I guess, are just on, on the face of it, good characters with which to practice your, your, your uh, calligraphy because they're each... I suppose, sort of somewhat complex. The three characters are Jiang, which is a kind of red, deep red color. Yun, which is, it can be a kind of a herb, which is, I believe in English, called rue, R-U-E. And Xuan, which is, I mean, it's a room or chamber or a study, I guess. So yeah, so for that reason, Hawks renders it as red rue study as, as the three characters. But I don't know exactly. We've seen the the Jiang before. Uh, we were called the Jiang Ju Shenzhao was referring to uh, Lin Dai Yu uh, in her in her um, her original flower state. So she's a, the crimson pearl flower. Yeah, who's fed with droplets of dew or whatever it is. Right. So maybe that's kind of, and that would be again. I'm not sure whether we should associate the the Jiang color with the. Uh, you know, the golden red that we've been discussing at length. Mm -hmm. Another interpretation would be, these would be tears of blood. I think I mentioned that in one of the earlier podcasts. Yeah. And so maybe that's, I, I'm not sure how how deep uh, we are to take this. My, I was searching through commentaries, but I haven't found anything good yet. Yeah. I specifically th those three characters. Those three characters, yeah. They, yeah. May mean, they may have no intentional significance. The, the thing that I think is of significance here is that Bao Yu has saved um, some some dumplings for I think it's for Qing Wen, one of his um, right, and that's Sky Bright who you mentioned a moment ago. He said that basically there were these tofu pier, the baozi, so like tofu skin dumplings. I know you like them, um, 
And so I, you know, I, I asked them to send, send a couple over to you to eat. And, uh, well, it transpires that, that Nanny Lee, Lee Mama, saw them and took them away for her own grandson, I think it was. And so he's already kind of angry at her for what he perceives as trying to ruin his fun. Although she was probably trying to avoid uh, retribution from Grandma Ja, were she to get angry that um, Bao Yu had, had drank so much. There is some definite in- indication that she and the other maids have been perhaps taking advantage of Bao Yu's good graces. And, and so her consuming the dumplings and her consuming uh, the tea that he had been looking forward to. Right, and that's the precipitating event that causes him to to throw the the tea cup on the ground and causing a great ruckus once again and smash it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other the maids have to cover for him. You know, uh, Aroma, the the maid that he's um, been having sex with, has to lie and pretend that she accidentally dropped the cup, and that's what the smashing sound was um, when other people come to investigate. And there's an interesting social thing that happens here where he seems to want to dismiss Nanny Lee. And yeah. uh, I believe it's I believe it's Skybright who says, well, if you're going to dismiss one of us, you may as well dismiss all of us. So it's almost, yeah. there's almost a, a bit of a, like the, the maids have unionized effectively. Um, yeah, they're showing a bit of solidarity to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, thought that was interesting. You know, they're saying, if you're going to sack her, sack all of us. He, you know, he kind of loses his temper because he thinks exactly that she's been, she's been taking the piss. But I think in reality, he's a bit drunk and tired and emotional. Um, and perhaps, you know, he'll calm down about it uh, after a while. So in the next passage, we see Qian Zhong, who is Bao Yu's new friend, uh, and the younger brother of Qian Shi, who is the wife of Jia Rong, who's one of the, the men of the Jia household, but in the Ningguo branch rather than the Rongguo branch that Bao Yu belongs to, correct? Exactly, yeah. As they were discussing in the previous chapter, Bao Yu and Qin Zhong decided that they should study together, and that would involve Qin Zhong kind of joining the school that Bao Yu is part of. Uh, and in order for that to happen, uh, Qin Zhong needs to come and kind of meet the important people in Bao Yu's household. And it seems like they're, they're basically won over by him. He's kind of charming and clever and uh, has all the kind of right qualities. And so they, they approve of him. And so he's allowed to kind of enroll in this, in this family school they have. But this presents something of a problem for Qin Zhong's father, Qin Bangye, who uh, is a kind of, he is some sort of minor official. And he's, he's actually, you know, he's, he's getting on in years now. Yeah. And he's worried that basically he won't be able to afford the school. And while it's talking about this, it gives us the, the, uh, the author gives us a kind of background to um, the Chins and you know that part of the family, or, or even indeed the cast of characters in this novel, and kind of explains who they are and and, and how they came to play a part in the uh, in the story. Mm-hmm. So we learn that there was this guy Chin uh, Bangye, who, as I said, is a kind of minor official. He was married, but never had any children with his wife, uh, and then she died. And at the age of 50, being childless, he decided to adopt two children, a boy and a girl. The boy died, leaving only the girl. And then subsequently, after the father, Qin Bangye, had remarried, he then had a son. And so he has two children. The older of them is an adopted daughter, Qin Shi, 
who we've we've met several times, who is the wife of Jia Rong, and the, he also has a, a younger child, Qin Zhong, who is the boy of about the same age as um, Jia Baoyu. There's one interesting thing that I sort of picked up on here. I, I, I don't know if you did too. When in the fifth chapter, when Jia Baoyu has his kind of dream sequence, he meets and in the dream has sex with a kind of fairy creature who we know as Ke Qing. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of the dream, when he's worried that he, you know, he, he, it seems like he's going to tumble into this cavern of, of death filled with terrifying creatures. He calls out in his sleep for this fairy Ke Qing to help him. Now, Qin Shi, whose bedroom he is sleeping in, overhears him using that name. And she thinks it's very strange because that was her name as a child, but nobody around here knows it. And Hawks does refer to that, but actually the Chinese text says something quite different, which is it refers to her as Jian Mei, which uh, Mei is kind of beautiful and Jian is combined. So it's kind of combined beauties. And this is the other name by which the fairy in that dream is known. So the fairy that he's introduced to is known as both Jianmei and Ke Qing. Jianmei, Hawks translates as two in one, because the suggestion is, is that it's the union of two separate beauties. And so she is in some way a kind of sort of standing in for somehow both Xue Baochai and Lin Daiyu simultaneously. But I think it's interesting that this really is, there's an express link between Qin Shi, an actual character in the book, and Ke Qing, this fictional symbolic fairy character in the dream. That's especially interesting because we just had this chapter where um, Bao Chai and Dai Yu are, are placed side by side, effectively. Uh, indeed. And so indeed. it's a perfect Hegelian synthesis uh, <laughs> to finish this particular dream sequence. The two in one, yeah. Um, so yeah, so again, this is another dream, and it follows the same structure, arguably, uh, as chapter five, maybe. So maybe we maybe we should leave it there then. Um, sure, sure. We got a lot to talk about next time, as we proceed on to chapter nine. So chapter nine is is titled, "A son is admonished, and Li Gui receives an alarming warning. A pupil is abused, and Tea Leaf throws a classroom in an uproar." So we'll find out about that next time. So this has been another exciting episode of Rereading the Stone. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at, at Rereading Stone. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading the Stone. Uh, there's also a Reddit page, reddit.com slash r slash Rereading the Stone. So there's lots of great ways to interact with us. Uh, we really like to hear feedback and critique. Uh, the more the merrier, the the more collective the process, the better the rereading will become. So thanks a lot and, and good night. Good night, everybody.